Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Monday, August 7th, the Veil vale Dance Festival comes to you. Don't miss the live stream of Monday's Now Premieres program at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Visit Veildance.org to enjoy an evening of world premieres from the festival's all-star casts of choreographers and dancers. You have heard them all right here on Conversations on Dance. Now catch them live from the Veil vale Dance Festival stage on Monday, August 7th. Link in the description of this episode for more information. This episode was recorded live at the Manor Vale Lodge. Conversations on Dance at the Vale Dance Festival is generously underwritten by the town of Vale. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Dance here at the Vale Dance Festival. My name is Michael Sean Breeden, and I'll be your host today. It is sadly my last day with you guys, but it's been such a wonderful year and I just want to say thank you, everyone, for coming out. Tomorrow, we will have a guest host who is in the audience today. It's Kate Penner. So please come out and support Kate. We love Kate, who has been a guest host on the pod um, several other times. Last year, did several events with me. So you are in good hands, rest assured. Uh, today, I have two incredible artists um, who are making premieres for tomorrow's Now Premieres program, uh, Kyle Abraham and Melissa Toogood. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, indeed. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is, I feel like the Sunday before the Now Premieres um, program is usually, can be a little tense, so I'm just curious yes. where we're at. You know, at the Vale Dance Festival, it's famously... Um, things are down to the wire, Damien gets inspired and wants, you know, a new dancer in this part, or maybe we just make something up like, you know, the day of, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm wondering where Spend are... Spend the day avoiding him. Too <laughs> 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 good. Um, so where, where are we with our, our pieces right now? How are we feeling? What's left to do? T-minus um, T 24 hours, basically. I'm ready to be on stage with it. I feel like for me, I need to work on spacing and be with musicians. Um, but I'm a lot less experienced, so I probably should have a lot more work to do. <laughs> uh, 
I think I'm trying to make sure the order is the right order. Um, it's all storytelling, even in its um, most vast abstraction. There's still some sense of like direction that I'm, I'm trying to make sure is, is right. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to kind of play with that as much as I can in the amount of time we have allotted. Right. So um, let's go back a little bit for anyone that might not have listened to our very good episodes that we've done with Melissa and Kyle in the past. Um, and just to kind of hear some background on who on what you were like as performers, um, where we trained, and that sort of things, to, just to know like what is informing your choreographic work. So let's, let's start with Melissa. Okay. Um, well, I, I guess I'm most known for dancing for Merce Cunningham. So I am Cunningham trained, but I also, I do a Graham floor all the time still. I trained in Graham and Lamone at New World School of the Arts. But really, I'm a Tanowitz dancer. <laughs> I've worked with Pam for a very long time. So um, I'm only very recently come to making work, mainly because people keep asking me to, not because <laughs> I have a very strong desire to, but um, I um, feel like I've had to work hard to get Pam and Merce out of my head. Mm -hmm. I mean, Pam got mad at me. She was like, you don't tell me you're making stuff. I have to read about it in the New York Times. And, <laughs> and I'm like, she's like, I could have helped you. I'm like, you already have. Like, <laughs> being in the studio with you every day for 16 years, it's, she's helped me immensely. Um, but I feel like I'm also really, as a dance maker, I'm not comfortable calling myself a choreographer, <laughs> um, have been really informed by working with Sally Silvers too, the way that she puts, develops material. So um, I've worked with a lot of people and I feel like all of that history is informing me in a different way, but I've had to, because I've worked with so many people and I've spent so long being in other people's heads, the hard thing is has been to try and find my own voice. Um, so, like, I had a residency in Colorado, actually, last year, just before um, Vail, at the launch pad in Carbondale, and that was, like, a really amazing time for me to just, without any pressure of a performance, just to see how do I make work, do I like making work, can I make work? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I'm still in that place. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned this, that saying like, I have to get Merce and, and Pam out of my head. Mm -hmm. I think about that all the time when you're working with choreographers who you admire so much. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's certainly why I never um, tried my hand at choreography. I was just like, I'm dancing Balanchine Ballets 24 seven, how could I ever yeah. offer something? So how do yeah. you kind of fight that? Um, or how do you find your own voice within that? What, what are some ways that you kind of divorce yourself from your experience as Well, a honestly, I hate improvising, but I've been improvising a lot just to see like what naturally kind of comes out. And I think the way that I um, coordinate movement when I'm improvising is very much affected by Merce. But then, um, you know, as I mentioned Sally Silva. She is an incredibly talented improviser and she has decades of VHS tapes of herself improvising and she would go through and like make things for me and be like okay three seconds from this video and then four seconds from this one and how she puts them together has really um, influenced me but I think um, trying to take things from them that are helpful but then the actual 
feeling of the stuff. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to go on instinct. Mm. But Pam has really affected me in terms of thinking about structure. She always talks about having something to hang her hat on. And mm. so, like, having a structure in mind for me to start with really helped. But I think one of the biggest things has been <laughs> the dancers that I'm in the studio with. They've really... They're very good cheerleaders. <laughs> They're really like been very supportive. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I, I really answered your question because no, no, I'm great. still figuring it uh, there's out. There's so much there. I want to get back in the process for sure. But let's let's bring Kyle in and hear yeah. about your own um, background as a performer. Sure. I gotta say before I even get into me, Melissa Too Good oh. is one of my favorite dancers of all time. I'm I'm. <laughs> yes. Um, and I say that even when I'm not in her presence. Um, you know, for me, starting off, I started dancing pretty late um, when I was about 17, but I was a big rave, uh, rave and hip-hop kid, so spending a lot of time in social dance practices, which to me really are the root of improvisation. Um, so when I started studying more codified forms like Cunningham and uh, Lamone and Martha Graham technique and, and ballet, of course, um, not of course, but in ballet, um, all of it was movement for me. So uh, I think also starting at 17, I just thought, I was going to be a choreographer. I didn't think there was space for me to be a dancer. Um, so for me, learning all of the information that I was and those different techniques, it was just more information for me to kind of explore and to um, expand upon what I knew in so the social dance vernacular. So that was a big part of the journey. Um, and then studying in the university setting, I just really tried to make as much as I could while I was in school. And of course, learn as much as I could from um, all of my teachers, both in choreography and in um, dance technique. Right, yeah. So, so Melissa, how did you first come to choreograph? And it seemed like you were a little bit more reluctant. Kyle, Kyle's like, I'm doing this. We're doing both in tandem. But maybe it took a while for you to, to yeah. get that. Um, during the pandemic, hmm. uh, Miko, the artistic director at Boston Ballet, reached out to me and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and there were, I got emails being like, could you just have a meeting with him? And um, he talked me into it. He basically gave me complete permission to fail. So I was like, okay, then I should try. Mm -hmm. So I made a piece for Boston Ballet. Um, started in the fall of 2020 and then it got pushed back. Uh, we premiered the piece March last year that he was really committed to it happening live, not um, on the internet, even though most of it was made on the internet <laughs> um, via Zoom. Um, and also Diana Beyer from New York Theater Ballet. Um, again, in 2020, her dance was really passionately trying to produce something um, live. So they did a show of like solos and duets. And so I made a solo for one of the dancers over Zoom. <laughs> Um, and then she reached out to me and was trying to get me to make a piece for the company, and I kept saying no. And then she emailed me, introducing me to the composer, David K. Israel. Mm -hmm. I was like, this lady's smart. She got, got me hooked because I had a great conversation with him. Mm -hmm. And so then when Peter Gilbert, um, who was really involved with the Launchpad in Colorado, um, had kept asking me to come back because we've gotten to know each other over the years that I've been here in Vail with no pressure. So I was like, sure, I'll come and see how it goes. And I didn't hate what I made. And so <laughs> then, you know, Damien and I were talking about what I would do this year. And 
um, he agreed to let me see where that went. Mm. Uh, I think this would be a good time to talk about your relationship, both of you, to music um, and what kind of so obviously you're, you're responding to David Israel's mm-hmm. um, compositions. Yes. What, what do you, each of you, find to be danceable music? What inspires you to create? It's all danceable. Everything's danceable? Yeah, everything? Everything, everything really, is danceable. Really? I, I Really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, one of the big things for me is that music is another player in the space. Mm-hmm. And if you are even accessing the possibilities of silence, that is also very valid and important. I think even every composer probably at some point in the score, there's a moment of rest. Mm -hmm. So recognizing the importance of silence, recognizing the importance of all different instrumentation is all valid. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, yeah, I said, you know, I started dancing in the kind of hip hop and rave culture, but I grew up playing the cello, French horn, piano. All of that was part of the history for me growing up as a kid. So all of that experience was happening at the same time that MTV was first coming on. Mm -hmm. So it's always been just a love of music for me and a, um, the possibility of movement. Uh, and I think a lot of the ways in which I'm choreographing is sometimes meant to highlight the music and maybe have someone's ear pick up on something that they wouldn't have heard or seen otherwise. Right. So if everything is danceable, how do you pare that down to what you want to actually make? Um, <laughs> um, I think it changes all the time. I think one thing that I'm excited about is um, not really being predictable. So I think if I'm making a work to, you know, Jay-Z, the next work might be to Rachmaninoff mm-hmm. because it's fun for me to kind of play with an audience's expectation. I think there's obviously certain movement, vocabulary, or um, information that I have that I'm trying to put on stage that might kind of make its way in regardless of whether or not I'm working with a ballet company or a contemporary company. But the way I'm thinking about move, or music in particular, I think in some ways it's inspired by who, who I'm going to be collaborating with uh, as dancers. Um, who is their audience? How much space is there from the audience to the stage? Mm-hmm. Uh, how much time do I have to make the piece? Because <laughs> I think that's another big component that people don't talk about that often. I think everyone gets excited about the notion of commissioned new music, but as choreographers, we don't get but so much time to work with that music, especially mm-hmm. with the realized instrumentation. We're usually working with like, you know, a computerized uh, digital files, yeah. Yeah, version <laughs> of a cello. It's like this weird sound that's supposed to represent a cello or mm-hmm. a flute or something. And we don't get the real music sometimes until the week or two before the show or even days before when you're hearing it um, being performed live by an orchestra. I'm going to hear mine today. You're hearing yours for the first time? Yeah. Yeah, and the show's tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so all of that, I think, is part of part of the thing that I have to consider when I'm thinking about music and um, how best to serve whatever it is right. the vision might be, if I even know the vision, because sometimes it may start with music. Right. That's You've, you've hit upon an interesting point to me, um, like the idea of, you know, the, a Rachmaninoff score, you could have been, you could have been acquainted with that for, at this point, decades, you know, yep. but how, so... Do you feel more comfortable with that sort of thing, each of you? Like, do you like to use music that it's like, you know, embedded in your brain? You know, you really, really know it. Or is it kind of exciting to have this moment where Melissa's just hearing her score for the first time today? <laughs> do you want to go first? Or you um, go? Sure. I mean, like <laughs> I said, I'm much, much less experienced in terms of making work. So um, I think that's where. Merce is still a big influence on me. It's like I'm I'm listening to it, but I'm also not listening to it. 
um, kind of fighting it in some ways. Like it, I think, like Kyle was saying about being you don't trying to be unpredictable too. It's like the last piece of music. Like the dancers love it. It's like so beautiful. But then I also try, trying to put some like toughness <laughs> against that too. So it, I'm kind of. I totally forgot your question. No, Sorry. Uh, this, this, is, this is good, too, because I, I like this direction, because um, maybe we could talk a little bit about what Marissa's relationship to music is for anyone that isn't familiar, because it's quite mm -hmm. interesting and different to me. It really is just, it occupies the same space at the same time, and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, he would, whichever composer he was working with, he'd be like, I'm making a dance that's 33 minutes long, and so then they would make a piece that's 30 min three minutes long. And hear it during the show, which right. is what I did to the dancers this week, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, um, what did we see on, on Friday? Crowd Spacer. Crowd Spacer, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, yeah, just like, just like as always, mm -hmm. they, James Whiteside was telling me, yeah, oh yeah, we heard it for the first time in the rehearsal today, and here we go. It's just, it's a very, um, for classical ballet dancers, a, a totally different experience. Yeah, and I think they felt like it was going to shock them, but then they realized, oh no, I'm busy. <laughs> right. They have they're they're thinking about all their rhythms and their space and all of that. So it 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 they were fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there's also a huge amount of trust though that I mean I got to meet Merce a handful of times, but there has to be a certain amount of trust that you have in the composers that you're collaborating with because I, I don't really feel like that much of the music was ever that melodic, right? So mm -hmm. like there had to be some kind of conversation and repartee and kind of like understanding of like this is my world. I welcome you into my world. Let's have a conversation and let's make sure that the work, you know, serves both of us in some way. I think that's like. I, yes, but it's also that chance element mm -hmm. in that. Um, for him, it was never really about taste. It was mm -hmm. about um, the possibility of what could happen. And so, mm -hmm. when two things came together, it there was the opportunity for something to be produced that outside of what he could have thought of. Mm -hmm. And so it was always just like, is this going to work? And when it did, it stayed in the repertory for a long time. <laughs> and when it didn't, it disappeared. <laughs> and sometimes your favorite dances, like movement-wise, didn't survive because of how all the elements came together. Yeah. And then you just hope that some of those parts got put in event material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, so So one work that I made in 27, or premiered, rather, in 2017, was called Dearest Home. It's a work that was um, performed in some ways in silence, always rehearsed in silence. The dancers still to this day have never heard the music, but there was a score that was composed to accompany it. But the only way you heard the score is if you had those silent disco headphones, uh, and that's the only time you heard it. But I, I had heard it several times, well after I was far enough along in the choreographic process. But it's interesting to think about, yeah, like, the control that I didn't have over an audience, whether or not they took the headphones off to see you know, how the dancers are responding in silence and put them back on, because I'm kind of thinking about the totality of the evening or the work. Um, so you, again, I have no control over the, the way an audience is kind of living in, in um, whatever that musical collaboration is meant to be. Yeah, it's so interesting. Can we bring that to Vail? I want to see this piece. <laughs> um, let's go back. And we, we kind of uh, started to touch upon process. And you know, you're saying you you create phrases on yourself. You'll improv, um, and then utilize that for the work later. 
Uh, how, how, where do you start? Um, do, you, do you like to I, sketch out phrases on your own body first to get an idea before you enter the room? It's really option D, all of the above. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it starts with um, writing a narrative um, where I'm really thinking about, in the same way a scientist would kind of create their hypothesis, I'm thinking about just putting down on paper whatever the experiment, experiment might be mm -hmm. um, and say, like, so a new work that I'm making for, well, can't say the place. Um, <laughs> it's really for me thinking about ideas of empathy in relationship to nature um, and aging. And so all of that is are things that I'm kind of like exploring, but I have no idea how it's going to manifest, right? So then I will go in the studio, which sometimes I start with just me going into the studio and improvising um, and recording it. Uh, I have an amazing uh, assistant, um, Stephanie Terasaki, who is here with us at Vail who learns a lot of that material, and then we might try to go back and forth um, to find the best way to kind of teach it to other dancers or for her to kind of like get ready to perform it. Um, so that's part of it. And sometimes I'm really making phrases, as one might say, so like a sequence of steps that will kind of go on from, you know, you hear people say, you know, five, six, seven, eight, all that stuff. <laughs> I, I would have maybe made a, a series of steps that I then teach to, to dancers or to Stephanie uh, to then teach from there. Or I'll, in the case of like a duet, there'll be some duets in the program that you'll see on, on Monday. Um, so a lot of that material, I'm really just building on the dancers in real time. Right. Or I'm building a score uh, or like a playlist yeah. for maybe a year to two years, just listening to music in a certain order and allow that to kind of dictate what the choreography might be and the order of the program might be as well. Mm -hmm. So, so Melissa, when you you do these little improv sections and then you're videoing them, I mm -hmm. presume, um, how do you decide what to keep and, and what's gonna where where that idea is gonna grow from? Um, I'm dancing in the work, so I'm really leaning on my own experience as a dancer instinctually, like what I feel like I can pull off <laughs> in turn. So the first section is a solo because that's how I started working. Mm -hmm. And then the second section, um, well, I really ordered it also based on the text I received from Damien Wetzel. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> so thank you, Damien, for structuring my dance. Um, <laughs> I get a text, will you work with Miriam? I'm like, of course. So then I'm like, okay, I'm thinking the next section's a duet for Miriam and I. And then I get a text a month later, can you also add India? And I'm like, great, she's coming in next. <laughs> so then that second piece, I was adding them. And I know the two of them pretty well. We've worked together a number of times here at the festival. So that was the section that I left for myself to really make here because you know it's really about making stuff here. Um, but I also wanted to be prepared because... I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and so that section I've really been making here, and I had an idea for it, but then I sprained my ankle earlier this week, so then it changed, and that having to adjust, I think I really learned from Mercer and Pam too because they are so good at really dealing with what's actually happening in the studio rather than what's just in their head. Um, and so... There was some changing and evolving, and that I really made with them, and I'm really grateful to them for that. And I was, I had a bunch of little phrases, and I was just sharing different bits with them, and 
Miriam's like, stop procrastinating. I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> and they would just try things. I'm like, okay. Awesome. You know, so they, they really um, helped support me and make that section. And then the final section, I got another text from Damien, and he was like, will you also work with Sarah Mearns? So I'm like, of course. <laughs> but I need another piece of music now. <laughs> so um, I know Sarah, but not super well. But, and so I made something for her. Mm -hmm. And taught it to her, and then you know it becomes a quartet. Right. Maybe Kyle, you can talk about what your process has been specifically for the work you're creating here in Vail. Yeah, uh, it is somewhat similar in the way that I uh, was able to have some time at uh, the Juilliard School. Uh, Damien helped get me a couple hours, where I would either work with the dancers one on one or uh, start building material with Stephanie. I think actually that's probably how we started. Uh, if I'm looking back, I think. Stephanie and I just got in the studio and I started building as much as I could when I kind of had a sense of who the cast was going to be and tried to make uh, material inspired by who those artists were gonna be in the space. Uh, I did, again, all of those option Ds. I played with the order in a playlist over and over again. Um, I videotaped myself dancing and had Stephanie learn it. I built Frey's material on her. She's also dancing in the work. Um, and then as soon as I could kind of try things with the dancers that were going to be dancing the work, uh, then it takes on a whole different kind of life um, and realization. I think because I'm someone when I'm working, I really want to ask a dancer how things feel, when does something seem unnecessary, what is necessary, um, because I'm not dancing the work. Especially in, in a ballet idiom, I think so much of it has uh, a lot of these kind of um, the importance of um, line and all those types of aesthetics are very key to a ballet dancer in particular. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that the line that I've chosen is one that they really resonate with because mm -hmm. they're the one, again, on stage or the photo is going to be of them. My name might maybe be in a <laughs> caption, but their name is going to be there. Yeah. So I want to make sure that that all connects and that the movement and the lines that we're choosing actually have some kind of continuity. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. You know, your sort of collaborative process with Stephanie is uh, making me think of a question I was asking yesterday to Jamar and Kylie. Um, you know, as dancers, you get near constant feedback. You know, you have the, you know, repertory director and your director and a teacher, or coach, whatever. But as choreographers, you don't always get that feedback unless you're seeking it out. So I'm, I'm curious what, um, what level of feedback you want or how, who you're seeking to kind of... Um, give you that feedback, or do you just like being on your own? Well, I'll, I'll ask for feedback, and I want to make sure that people are able to feel 
that they can express themselves uh, honestly. But I think the tricky thing, especially with ballet dancers and dancers that work in repertory companies, so companies that do work primarily of other choreographers over and over again, they're not always given an opportunity to express their, their opinion and voice. So when you actually ask them, in some ways I feel like they're like, is this, is this a trick question? Like, <laughs> do, you, do you only want me to say the good things? And I, I really want to know and hear from them what, mm. really what's working and what's not working. Um, even, even Stephanie being my assistant, I think I keep pushing her because her voice is so important. Mm -hmm. I keep pushing her to actually be more vocal and tell me what her opinion is. But, you know, Stephanie, she's so kind. She's like, you know, that could work or, or that could work. <laughs> you know? um, so it's, mm. it's interesting hearing that. But then I think there'll be a little moment or nugget where I think she, she feels like she can actually say, well, I, I do, you know, Carl, I do prefer that ending, you know, and I love hearing that because it's really important. Um, anyone and everyone whose eyes are in this space, I want to know what their perspective is. Yes, I am going to be the one responsible for whatever type of critique the work gets. Mm -hmm. um, the dancers will be viewed as beautiful because they are, but people may not get the choreography. Right. And if that doesn't um, work or resonate, that's a lot of that is my fault. So I do take all of their opinions in and try and kind of process it and think about how important it is, um, what there's, what, not everything they're saying is important, but I'm trying to figure out, I guess, um, what is important to me? Uh, and and how, how is the feedback that they're giving me, how is that leading me towards uh, the, the way that I, I feel best, um, best represents this work? Right. Do you guys ever get feedback from um, a director or someone in the institution? I mean, you're saying Damien is kind of, he's offering, like, wants you to use these people, but mm -hmm. how much... Um, he hasn't seen the piece yet. Yeah, you haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Going on stage tomorrow, I mean, the <laughs> level of trust he gives everyone at this right. festival is, I mean, something I think, I think it's why he's such a great director. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've all been involved in dance organizations with people at the top aren't always <laughs> the best. So it's... Um, Name names. <laughs> no, no, but it can, there's a level of control sometimes that's mm -hmm. unnecessary, and I think he puts really competent people in place and then trusts them to do their job. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the success of mm -hmm. his festival. Right. Not necessarily someone needing control over your work, but do you ever have someone um, give parameters, like can you please use this piece of music? Can you can it be less than 10 dancers because we have this other ballet on the program? Like what level of parameters have you been dealing with or is it usually just like carte blanche? Well, two things. One, I want to just, I think the first part of the question, I think for me, Risa Steinberg is someone that I bring into the room whenever I can. I think she's just, just a brilliant friend and mind and dance icon. So hearing her input, she's not afraid to tell you when something doesn't work, and I, and I love that. I really appreciate that. And, and most of my collaborators are that way, especially my lighting and uh, scenic designer, uh, Dan Scully, usually. We work together, he usually kind of gives me the, the honest truth. But parameters, uh, no one's ever told me what music to use. I, I don't know how I'd respond to that, honestly. <laughs> I've been commissioned to make a work to certain music before, and I've had to think about whether or not that is in alignment with who I am and, and how best I can represent whatever that music might be. Mm -hmm. um, I have gotten certain parameters about the number of dancers that I'm using. Maybe, you know, at like the Ailey company, they'll say, oh, you know, it's great if you don't use the full company because if someone goes out, we're in a, a tricky situation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but in a lot of the ballet companies I've choreographed for it, I uh, feel like I get a kind of sense that I can do most of what I want, but I think more than anything, they give you certain time parameters. I think that's the same thing here. You have to be really kind of considerate with uh, a, a program that is going well beyond your work. And right. you want to make sure that you're not getting too, too lengthy in whatever you're creating. Right. Can we just hear a little bit about what we might expect um, in your premieres tomorrow night? Me? Oh, yeah, you what? go. <laughs> I don't know what to yeah. say. Well, I, so I'm working with, Bar, uh, with uh, Bach Partita um, for, on piano. Um, I, I don't know if it's because of ballet's relationship with piano. Most times in class, you're dancing to piano. That I, I, I'm much more drawn to the Bach Partita for piano uh, in this kind of context. Uh, so I'm exploring that. I'm working a lot with solo, solos and duets. Um, there are a couple group sections in there as well. Um, I don't really know what else I can say. It's something that I, I wanted to explore for the last year and some change, but um, situations being what they can be, and there's more there. Um, <laughs> I wasn't able to, to, um, to dive in previously. Um, but Damien, again, being just a great kind of champion that he is, was like, yeah, this is a great place to try it out. Mm -hmm. So it gave me an opportunity to, for me to kind of explore um, what my movement vocabulary might look like um, with the um, partita and piano. Mm -hmm. And point shoes. I yeah, was very I love, excited I love to see point them. <laughs> uh, me? Oh. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to say about it. I guess um, it, it's sort of about the endurance of motherhood, I would say. <laughs> um, and kind of an homage to their mom friends that really embraced me at that time as an artist um, and supported me, so, yeah. Beautiful. I think we have time to open the Florida audience questions, and we will bring the mic out. We'll start with Jana. Thank you. Sorry I had to travel. Uh, I have two things. I have something I want to say to Kyle. Um, and then I have a question for you too, okay. Kyle. Um, although I've loved watching you work in the tents with Kyle Abraham's work to Melissa because it's so puzzling to me and it's really helpful to see you work. But the first thing I want to say to Kyle is a very, very personal thank you for the work you made for the New York City Ballet when we fell. Um, I know it was a chance you took, or at least some people thought so, that they were not on the Marley floor. <laughs> but to be in that space, it was such a beautiful, beautiful ballet. But I'm sure a lot of people who go to New York City Ballet can share with me how wonderful it was, the way you used the space and the beautiful dancers for us coming back after COVID. And I've, I will never forget it, and I couldn't watch it without I can almost not speak to you now, because, um, so I'll stop that. Um, and uh, one other thing involves a question. I think even before I'd seen that, oh, I also want to say I loved your, your newest work for New York City Ballet, oh. too. Very, very wonderful. Um, I saw you at Jacob's Pillow, and it was the first time I'd seen your work, I have to confess. It was quite a while ago, and um, I loved what I was seeing, but... What impressed me that I have never forgotten is that somebody asked you a question about work that was coming, 
and you told us about a schedule that went out like two years or something. There was you you had everything planned out for two years. So the whatever the questions answer was was I can't do that, you know, until whatever, yeah. three years. <laughs> and I I came away thinking, wow, this is the most organized choreographer. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I always think of that when I I mean I'm sure you have a lot of commissions, but could you speak to how um, how you can do that, you know, how you can plan two years ahead of time and have the whole calendar organized. I, I just would like to hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure, thank you for the comments and, and the question. Um, yeah, I, yes, I, part of me wants to address the, the first comment, but um, I guess, yes, I will quickly. Um, <laughs> So great, uh, grateful that you the, that when we fell resonated with you. Ironically, that conversation I was saying about you know trying to kind of surprise an audience or not not um, fall into expectation. The work before when we fell, which was really kind of for me a study on piano in a lot of ways with the music. So I use Nico Muley, I use um, uh, Jason Moran, mm -hmm. and. I think there was one other composer in there that's escaped me because I wasn't planning on talking about it, but um, it, that came right after work that used, you know, mostly hip hop and um, kind of alternative popular music and dance music. So it's great to kind of go from one to the other and, and kind of play with those different um, worlds. Uh, but my scheduling, yeah, I, I think for me, I mean, ironically, that must have been maybe before the pandemic, because I think, yeah, the pandemic really kind of shook me up. <laughs> Prior to the pandemic, my, my board asked me to make a five-year plan, and um, I made an eight-year plan, um, scheduling everything from 20, I think it started around 2017, all the way through to 2024 or something like that. But then the pandemic happens, maybe 26, and the pandemic happens, and all of these works that I started working on, scheduled to premiere 2020, 21, 22, they all wind up premiering on the same year. And then the second the curtain goes down, people go, what's next? And I'm like, I just gave y'all six years worth of work. You know? So that's really kind of played with my mind in a way. Um, I'm still, yeah, still trying to plan things out in that way. I think I have a, you know, I'm really grateful for an, an amazing executive director of my company, uh, Sydney Liggett-Dennis, who helps support those endeavors that I want to take on both in my company, but also when I'm uh, leaving and going and doing these commission projects. So I try and be really thoughtful about the number of commissions I can take on in a year, and then think about um, a timeline that best works for the company. And with that, some of that means um, expanding upon this idea of a repertory model. So I'll bring in outside choreographers. In the past, we've done work from Trisha Brown, um, works from Doug Farone, B.B. Um, Miller, uh, the list goes on and on. And then while doing that, I, I will also be making an evening length work for the company. So a work that spans a little over an hour or so in length with maybe a narrative or two uh, ideas kind of weaving together. Again, that idea of a hypothesis kind of coming together to create a work. So I'm doing all of that in a, in a way. So at the moment, I think I have all my plans up to 2026. But then my goal is to take at least six months off in 2027. Um, that's my goal. I mean, I cannot predict if there'll be another pandemic or how America or Europe will, spam, will respond to that pandemic. But that's my goal at this point, to kind of have everything kind of um, timeline like that. Now you're looking forward to a vacation in four years. I know, I know. <laughs> I, was, I was supposed to go on a vacation or take time off in 
2025, and then a friend, <laughs> a really, really important friend asked me to make a work for her, um, and she's now taking time off. So I, I already started scheduling everything knowing that I was going to make that work. Mm. So now it's just a little bit of like, okay, that timeline for personal time has shifted a bit, but make so it work. Being this prolific, are there ever moments where you're like, the muse is not coming to me, or have you scheduled this because you, you, like, you feed off that sort of constant creation? Well, I think it seems somewhat manageable, the, the timeline that I've set forth. Um, yeah, but there, there are definitely a lot of periods where I don't have any, um, yeah, it's just not coming. The inspiration's mm -hmm. not coming. And sometimes I just lay on the floor. I'm just like, I, it's not coming to me. Or I'll watch the most mundane television. You know, I think everyone that knows me knows I love Love Island UK and Australia. <laughs> I just watch that show, and I think like that escapism kind of serves mm -hmm. me a little bit. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I, I, I know I have certain goals, and I love goals. Um, I love timelines, too. So I think that really helps me to kind of try and get to um, wherever I'm hoping the work can be. But I think along with that, ideally, whoever is commissioning the work, or if it's even internally at uh, my company, AIM, uh, there is also that level of support for me to say, this work isn't ready. Can we have a little bit more time? Um, that, that's a, a really kind of vulnerable thing to say, um, and because you don't know if the answer is going to be yes or no. Right. Um, but ideally, when you express those things that you don't feel ready, um, everyone that you hopefully put around you will help you to kind of um, shine and um, help you feel supported. Oh, great. Um, who's got the mic? Jonathan, pass the mic down. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, um, I was actually wondering if you both could talk about your work together, meaning <laughs> several years ago, I remember that Melissa Tugut guested for Kyle in a piece. I can't even remember when that was, but. Live the Realist MC. Yes. At the Walker Art Center. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Could you guys maybe share a little bit about that? Great question. Yeah, do you want to go first, Mel? Sure. I mean, Kyle is one of my all-time favorite dancers. <laughs> And when you reached out to me about maybe working together, I was like, yes, I need to make this happen. <laughs> um, I, am, I actually love going into work that's already made because it helps me get to know the person's work. Um, and so that's what happened in this situation. Um, but you also getting extremely famous at the time. And like, I remember dress rehearsal, you had to leave, even though you were in that show, and fly to go receive an award somewhere and then come <laughs> back and finish the rehearsal before the show. So I feel like I'm not done <laughs> working with you. Um, but uh, I don't know what else to say. It was, I, it was such a short time, but so impactful. I love being in the studio with your dancers. They were so generous and really know what they're doing. And um, I learned a lot from them. And even though we were only in the studio together for such a short time, they're people that I've really stayed, I feel connected to. Oh, I and I think that's because of the environment you create. And um, yeah, I love, I just love your work. Oh, thanks. Yeah, very <laughs> mutual. I think, you know, it was, it was, Wonderful for so many reasons to have to have um, Melissa with us, but I think one of them was also just seeing the way that my dancers could kind of like learn from her. She also comes in and teaches company class for us, 
Um, so like that's a whole other aspect to our working relationship. Um, but it also kind of extends um, this idea of what's possible. I think watching Melissa's, <laughs> I actually do laugh sometimes because things that she can do, it really seems like it's not humanly possible. <laughs> so thinking about how not only dancers can be this close to her as she's doing these kind of like feats of nature, but then also how she helps to kind of um, teach and share that information to make other dancers feel like they can do that is part of the joy in having someone like her in, in my space or in our shared space. I love that. I mean, like Melissa's just been taking classical ballet dancers who who know probably nothing about MERS now mm -hmm. for years and just well, making really modern dance in general, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And like, we have just, to take our shoes off. It's, but it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, Miriam split her foot open so bad during oh, crowd space this week. I'm like, you're initiated. <laughs> She's like so excited, but it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's clearly like such a, a gift that you have that you are able to communicate um, that world to them and. Well, I, I think Cunningham can be misinterpreted in a lot of ways. Like, I learned a lot from Merce because I can pick up movement quickly and retain a lot of information, but that didn't always, I wasn't always the one that his eye went to, even though I was like doing it the most correct. <laughs> and I learned a lot from that. Mm -hmm. I learned so much from watching him as a director. And, um, you know, I can be doing parts for him that. 12 other women had done before and he never compared me to anybody else. He really just looked at what I showed him in the studio. And I think that's the only way to keep the work alive if you're gonna keep doing it, is to really look at the person in front of you that's doing it, how they're doing it. And there's so many ways to um, bring forth the integrity of the particular work. Like something that works on one dancer or it's something that one dancer can get away with, another can't. Yeah. And you know, knowing, I, I, for me, that's a very creative process, and that's like really where I um, get excited more than choreographing <laughs> is rehearsal directing. And like, I love making events though um, with Mercy's work. So how I organize things and casting, like I love that sort of stuff. That's mm -hmm. very, I find that to be a very creative endeavor, and. Um, I enjoy that, and you know, I, I mean, if you're interested in the work, to me, I'm like, then you're doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. Any other questions? <laughs> Melissa, I'd like you to expand a little bit on your experiences as a working mother, ah, and okay. and uh, it seems to me there's more and more. People <laughs> bringing small children, performers and choreographers to Vail. Are you lobbying yeah. Damien to create a child care center <laughs> to help you? We actually, before 2020, I had a meeting with some people from Vail Valley Foundation about how to do that. But then, you know, 2020 happened. <laughs> <laughs> Not as many kids have been coming out either. But, um, no, they're all, everyone's been so supportive. I think initially, um, the whole, like, being a mom thing... Um, I always thought I had to retire to do that. And then when I started working more with ballet companies and I'd be in the dressing room and see people pumping and stuff, I was like, oh, it's physically possible. I just don't personally have the infrastructure to support that, so I have to figure that out on my own. Um, so I have an amazing partner that really, that really helps. Um, and like I was kind of saying before, when I did have my amazing little 
child over there, Hudson. Um, there were a number of dance moms that kind of came out of the woodwork and just embraced me, um, particularly friends Miley and Amy. Um, it's not easy, um, especially in my area of dance. Um, I mean, and Pam Tanowitz has been incredible. Like, shoot, our rehearsals, we don't work full time. So, um, you know, that's a different challenge in financially and all of that. But um, we would be rehearsing and we'd take a break based on when I was like, I, uh, I need to pump now or I need <laughs> to go feed in. Um, she's also a mom. And so that really helped. She made my part for me in four quartets when. Hudson was three months old. <laughs> but, she, I mean, we have such a long working relationship, and she's so talented as a choreographer that she can be flexible in that way with my availability. Um, but in terms of making work, it really informed the piece that I'm making because most of it happened with him in the studio with me. It was just like, okay, making blanket forts, and how can I keep him <laughs> occupied? And, he loves improvising, so I was like using. I'm like, okay, now you're Miriam, and you're going to be here. And like, but it really was. Um, he's been a part of the process for me. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. talking about you. <laughs> I think we have time for one more question. Hi. Um, unfortunately, I'm leaving Monday morning, so can't see your work. So hope to get you to something it. in New York. It's streaming. Yeah. That's how I'm going to watch it, too. Oh, Monday night. Yeah. Right, right. I will, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll kind of on a plane. But <laughs> um, anyway, um, <laughs> so my question is about, I love dance because of the music. I love to, all different kinds of music. I love music with melody. Um, I love the costumes, the lighting, um, in addition to the dance. So my question is, when I see it, when I get to a piece that I don't love the music, and it, when I learned a couple years ago when the music comes <laughs> later, like that, that just was a whole brain adjustment to, to learn that the music comes, you know, very late. Um, so what can you say to the audience to help people like me, you know, love a piece, but separate, maybe love the dance, but not love the music? Or how do you, how do you separate it? Or I don't think it's always about loving something either. You know, I mean, I think it's just about having an experience. So Crowd Spacer, the Cunningham excerpt that I staged for Friday, I'll never forget one of my first tours with Merce Cunningham Dance Company. Um, we re-premiered that piece because it was made in the 90s. It was the first piece he made with computer. And then we brought it back um, in the 2000s. And I was doing kind of a situation like this after a show with the composer, John King. And an audience member was like, oh, the music was so difficult. And then partway through, it changed. And then I really like loved it, and I grew with the piece. And he's like, the music didn't change. You did. Wow. So, and uh, yes, like you, if you just allow yourself to sit with something, and I think especially with Cunningham, a lot of people need to see it many times to grow in that way. So um, I don't know, I think it's just about being open. Yeah, I think it's, it's that. It's also just an aspect of just life and reality, not to be like super hippie with it, but like if you're on the New York subway and you're having an amazing conversation or you're holding your partner's hand 
if there's an ignorant conversation next to you, it doesn't make you love your partner any less. Or if you're in the park and you're like exploring nature and loving the nature that you're kind of surrounded by, but then someone starts playing music on their sound system that really interferes with the way that you're experiencing nature, it doesn't make you love nature any less. I think it's just the way in which you choose to see and experience something. There's always something to take away from it. And it doesn't, it's not about liking or not liking the thing. I think it's just really allowing yourself to experience the thing and think about whatever memory you may have, it may lead to the most amazing conversation about like the most ridiculous music that you heard watching this dance, then leads you to talk to someone and have the most organic and inspired conversation that you would have never thought you would have had. That is such a beautiful way to end. <laughs> Thank you both for joining us. Everyone come see their premieres tomorrow night, and if you can't make it to the show, stream it. Yeah. Thank you, you guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.